I think most of us may know, but um, I'd like us to play, pray for Mike Platt and his family. I don't want to embarrass anybody, but um, uh, Grammy, Mike's mom died last night. You can't hear me? Is this not, is that better? Okay. Okay. Is that even better? Is that better? No. <laughs> okay. So let's pray for him and others in our body. Father, first of all, I praise you because you are worthy and you do sing over us, Lord, with love. And Anita is experiencing that in ways that we cannot even imagine. I ask, Lord, that you would comfort, Holy Spirit, that you would comfort tangibly the whole Platt compound and beyond. I'm thinking, Father, of just a few weeks ago where I saw her, even in her confusion, singing with joy. And now you sing over her, and she knows joy like no other, like none of us here. I pray that this is a comfort and that you would continue to speak life and love into everyone in the Platt family. I ask that you would bring healing to Jesse, who has COVID and then protection. The other three don't get it. And I ask, Lord, that you would give us hearts to hear and receive your word. I pray, Lord, that um, everyone would be deaf to everything I say that is um, without the significance of the message that you want brought to this particular people, this particular day, this hour, at this time, in Jesus' name, amen. So here we are at our final passage in our summer with Galatians, with a letter from Galatia, from Paul to the Galatians. I find that I am now seeing this book in a bigger context after hearing its message proclaimed by others in the body and done so well. And this is what we're going to speak of today. We've heard the word proclaimed here at New Creation, and today we're going to speak again about new creation. The first scripture that we're looking at, or primarily the main one, is Galatians 6, 14 through 15, may I never boast of anything except the cross of our Lord Jesus Christ, by which the world has been crucified to me and I to the world. For neither circumcision nor uncircumcision is anything, but a new creation is everything. The good news proclamation today that I want to bring to you is that we are living, even now, right now, here, in a new reality created by the cross. We are a new reality, whether or not we recognize it. The cross, resurrection, and ascension of Jesus, God with us, has lifted and shifted and changed everything. We're living in a new reality created by the cross. This new creation awakens our imaginations, and I'm praying that your imagination is awakened today and going forward, and that you are freed from shame, because we are, and we're free from status divisions, we're free from legalisms, 
into the freedom of God to cultivate the welfare and flourishing of all. These last eight verses in Galatians have Paul passionately bringing his message of new creation home. He begins um, in verse 11 of chapter 6 by exclaiming, See what large letters I use as I write to you in my own hand. Up to this point, he may have been dictating the letter, but here at the end, at the closing part, he's taken over the pen, and he has taken matters into his own hands. We might say, see how I am using bold print and a 20-point font. There has been a lot of talk about circumcision in Galatians. When I was a little girl, probably around age eight in the third grade, I just loved to go to church. My parents didn't go, but they would drive the 30 minutes or so and drop me off. And it was a great big church. In fact, I even have a, a painting that I bought at a craft fair one, one time. I think I traded for it. I traded for it. I'm sure I traded for it, Mark. I didn't pay money. But anyway, um, it's a watercolor, and it's, it's of a little girl with blonde hair, and she's standing alone in the narthex or the... Um, foyer of a church. And I bought it because it reminded me of myself. I was often in that situation, looking out the window, kind of hoping against hope that my, that my um, family would show up, but they didn't. Anyway, here I would go, and I loved to go to church. And so one year, or one Sunday, when I was around eight, the Sunday school lesson must have been about Abraham or Moses or something. Um, and the word circumcision came up in the Bible story text. My Sunday school teacher was an older man. Most of the other children, maybe they weren't as interested as I was or as curious as I was, or, or maybe they already knew what the word meant. But I raised my hand and asked, what is circumcision? And... I can still remember, he started here and got red, and then his neck, and then his bald head and his face, and he was flushed, and he said, it's a, a ceremony in the Old Testament. <gasps> what kind of ceremony? And now he was just beyond himself, and he just said, um, you know how when you don't know what to say, you say the wrong thing? And he says, well, it involved cutting off part of a man's body. Now all the children are interested. <laughs> what part? What do you mean? And he mumbled something about asking our parents <laughs> and that we needed to get on with the story. And so do we. This letter to Galatians is references circumcision over and over um, for good reason, but it's about so much more. We've seen in previous weeks how Paul is calling certain Jews out for teaching the Gentile believers that they need to be circumcised and comply with Mosaic law. This is contrary to the good news of Jesus. This is clearly bad news, particularly bad for some, and it is contrary to all that Paul has taught them about the good news of being new in Christ and in the new creation that is then and right now 
germinating through all of creation and in all of us because the cross through which Jesus defeated sin and death and reversed the curse has happened. We read that all creation is groaning, laboring, as we await his return, the Lord's return, in the already not yet time that we find ourselves in. But it has begun and is yet to come, and it is also right now. The message translation puts it this way. These people who are attempting to force ways of circumcision on you have only one motive. They want an easy way to look good before others, lacking the courage to live by a faith that shares Christ's suffering and death. All their talk about law is gas. They themselves don't keep the law, and they are highly selective in the laws they do observe, and they only want you to be circumcised so they can boast of their success in recruiting you to their side, and that is contemptible. Do you feel the weight of this? Having been set free and called to freedom in Christ, the Gentile believers are now having the burden of the law placed on them. Big, heavy. Think of, I, when I keep thinking about it, I kept thinking about, you know how when you go to get an x-ray and they put that heavy thing on you? It's, it's like that. I just feel like it's burden. It's heavy. And they live in the hot desert, so that's worse. Um, but this is still happening. This happens still. Perhaps you've experienced it in the myriad ways that religiosity just worms its way through theology, through the church. And it still happens today. When I was 16, my family moved from Ohio to Arizona. When the school year began, I was invited by a classmate to attend a little holiness Pentecostal church. There I met Mark, but that is another story. I still love Jesus just as much as I did when I was a little bitty girl, and I was very serious about my faith. And though I was not familiar with, though I was not unfamiliar with Pentecostalism, this little holiness church. The Church of God of Prophecy was very different. As a teenager, I dressed like most teens did in the mid-70s, 1970s, in midi, mini, or maxi dresses, or in bell-bottom jeans and peasant tops. I loved Jesus, and he loved me, and he, I accented with turquoise rings and beaded necklaces and earrings, and Jesus liked my style. I know he did. I felt it. Well, the message of this little church would have clearly declared the salvation in Christ alone as truth. They wouldn't have told you you had to add anything to your salvation. And yet, there was a booklet, and it was called Advice to Members. It didn't deny that Jesus was all that one needed, but, well, we humans, we are just not very good at living in the freedom of Christ. And we like to add things so that we present in a certain way. 
The booklet, though, it was for everyone, focused a lot on women, I'm sorry to say. So we weren't supposed to color our hair, we weren't supposed to wear any jewelry, we weren't supposed to, we were supposed to dress a certain way, and um, the only jewelry allowed for men or women was like a wedding band. No movies, no dancing, no fun. And on and on. And since I didn't grow up in it, I was marginally affected, but Mark grew up in it. And... Um, he had a little more def difficult time. He struggled to enjoy his class ring. And he was anxious that if the rapture took place, which isn't even that word's not even in the Bible, but anyway, if the rapture took place while we were at the movies, that we could conceivably be left behind. This is no small thing. It's a serious thing. It's a bondage. It's a burden. And it can be difficult to extricate oneself from legalism, especially if you have grown up in it. Perhaps after having been called to freedom, you too have had similar experiences of bondage and burdens placed on you concerning what a good Christian does, what a good Christian says, what a good Christian looks like. And Paul is having none of it here. He denounces, and earlier in the book, he even curses any teachings that deny the new reality that we have in Christ Jesus for individuals and for the new creation through the cross, resurrection, and ascension of Christ. The gospel works from the inside out. The gospel works from the inside out. Christ in us. Christ in our church body here, together at New Creation, which is so aptly named. Legalism, nationalism, not being woke, being woke, whatever, those things won't work. They won't work. Because of the cross, everything has changed, though. Christians are free. We are free to enjoy the world, to love God, and to love others to live in community because we need not fear the world. I'm going to say that again because there's a lot of fear going around these days. We need not fear the world, and we need not worship the world. Either one. We are living in a new reality created by the cross, and we must allow our imaginations to be awakened to what this means. We must pray that the Holy Spirit will awaken our imaginations to what this means, and we must cast off the encumbrances to our faith. We are free of shame. We're free of shame. We are free of status divisions. Paul goes on to declare, for my part, uh, and this is from the message, I am going to boast about nothing but the cross of our master Jesus Christ. I have been crucified in relation to the world, set free from the stifling atmosphere of pleasing others. Do you feel that? You've been set free from the stifling atmosphere of pleasing others. You've been set free from trying to fit into the little patterns that they dictate. 
Can't you see the central issue in all of this? It's, and this is Paul saying, it's not what you and I do, submit to circumcision, reject circumcision. It's what God is doing. He is creating something now and then and right into the future, something new, a free life. Now the word boast, where Paul is saying, I'm going to boast about nothing but the cross, the word boast in our time can have negative uh, connotations, though there doesn't seem to be any shortage of boasting. But um, we often contrast it to humility. But in the shame versus honor culture of Paul's day, or I could say the shame versus honor culture of politics today, I could say the shame versus honor culture that goes on in some churches still, boasting was a different thing. In Paul's day, boasting could increase your status or honor. In other words, you're kind of pointing out. Remember, you know, Paul has said before, you know, I, I um, knew the law better than anybody, you know, I, he's educated, he's a Pharisee among Pharisees. He's, he's boasted in that way, the way he might have boasted before his encounter with Jesus, that he was legit. He was righteous. He had got all his bases covered. He kept the law. And so it could increase a stat- status or honor in that culture. Have you, as, they declared your, as you declared your adherence to the law or your righteousness. In this context, it also carries with it the idea, though, and another word, another translated word, rather than boast, could be glorying. Now that changes it. If you're glorying in something, if you have decided, I'm not going to glory in anything but the cross. I'm not going to glory in anything but this one bit. I can wear my beads with joy and delight because I glory only in what Jesus has done because we are a new creation Paul boasts, Paul glories in the cross and resurrection. He doesn't boast about Jesus raising Lazarus from the tomb. He's not boasting here about Jesus teaching in the Beatitudes, showing um, himself as a master teacher. He doesn't glory in Jesus touching a leper or showing himself to be a compassionate healer. He's He's not glorying in any of those things here. Paul certainly knows these things. He certainly appreciates these things. His life of faith is enriched by these things, but he glories in the crucifixion. He glories in the fact that Jesus entered the stuff of our ordinary lives where light and shadow mingle, where good intentions and selfish impulses struggle, where hope struggles with despair, where racism and evil exist, where we lament and grieve and suffer loss, where life isn't fair and things don't always work out for the best. Paul glories in the cross that has changed everything, where freedom is born anew, where God resurrects. The cross is empty. The tomb is empty. New creation is happening right now. It's on the move. It's in our hearts. It's in our bodies. It's, it's, in, it's, 
It's in the trees. It's in the earth. The new creation is moving because of what Jesus did on the cross. Imagine what it means to us. Imagine what it means to you in your body, in your heart, in your mind, and in our fellowship here at New Creation. Imagine what this means to us as families, as friends, as individuals. All of our worldly credentials melt away. Honor is upended. Shame is deflated. The less we hassle ourselves and one another with endless moralistic housekeeping, the more focused we are to love God and to love others, the more we find our Lord Jesus acting in and through us, the more we abide in the vine of the new creation. So I want you to take just a moment to quiet yourself if you're not already and reflect. How has your life come to reflect your freedom to love God and to love others more clearly over time in this new reality? Do you realize you're living in this new reality? Do you have liberty to love God and others unencumbered by religiosity? What's getting in the way of your freedom in Christ to give yourself to others? Is it because you don't realize that you have freedom in Christ? Is it because you can't get that heavy load off? Because I know we can help one another remove religiosity and legalism and those things from our lives. I'm going to pray. That's all I've got so far. Thank you, Father, for your word and your life, Lord Jesus, for becoming one with us. Thank you for what you did on the cross, the resurrection, the ascension. Everything is new and becoming new and will be new. Help us to love you. Open our hearts and our minds and our eyes and our ears and our bodies to feel you, to know you, to hear you, to see you, to understand you. In Jesus' name. You can just have a seat. For I've got one, one more bit I want to talk to you about. This is just, I just want you to, I don't know how many of you like poetry. I happen to like it a lot. So I'm going to read a poem. And it's about communion. So I want you to think of it in light of the new creation, okay? A new conversation. I understand a bit more now about how it might have felt to be at the table that night of breaking bread and sipping wine, so grateful for the new conversation. No longer about rules and regulations, but about belonging. The new conversations happened around the table where the life of each disciple was a sacred text. 
Each disciple's life is a sacred text. You should look at me because I'm looking at you. (laughs) Not just the ones who didn't betray. A conversation where everyone's words were part of the sacred story. So we return on Sundays to remember what is available to us. Do this in remembrance of me. Do take this with you, this new conversation, this beauty you have experienced. It's not a story to believe or to memorize, but a life to live with one another, a new conversation to inhabit. What if, as much as it is about the bread and the wine, it is about re-entering the conversation? What if, as much as it is about the beautiful inherited words offered, it is about emerging and it is about our emerging and imperfect words held by the fertile tensions of belonging and becoming, longing? and allowing, arriving, and departing. Do this in memory of me. Do take this with you, this gift. Again from the message in 1 Corinthians 10, 15, and 16, Paul is writing, and he says, When we drink the cup of blessing, aren't we taking into ourselves the blood of the very life of Christ, And isn't it the same with the loaf of bread we break and eat? Don't we take into ourselves the body, the very life of Christ? Because there's one loaf. Our manyness becomes oneness. Christ doesn't become fragmented in us. Rather, we become unified in him. We don't reduce Christ to what we are. He raises us to what he is. Let us eat the bread and drink the cup.